Well, hello, dealmakers, and welcome to the show where it's all about financial freedom with real estate. I want to point out for you that our Platform Builder workshop is open right now. Go to platformbuilders.com. If you're a syndicator, you want to scale your capital raising ability, you want to 10x what you've done, or you really want to knock it out of the park right from the beginning, then you want to learn all about creating an online thought leadership platform. We're going to teach you how to do this in this training. So go to platformbuilders.com and watch that training. It will really help you get to the next level. So with that, I want to bring on our co-host of the show, Garrett Lynch. What's going on, Garrett? What's going on, Michael? So we got Pete Schnepp on the show today, and, and uh, Pete is an, an entrepreneur, uh, not only in real estate, but he's he's got a couple of small businesses. And I think one of the themes here is, you know, being an entrepreneur, pros and cons. What do you think? I've been one my whole life, pretty much. Even I've gone as far as to sleeping on a couch for $200 a month rent while trying to chase my first business. So um, it's near and dear to me. So I'd say that's one thing that can can be a challenge is, is uh, as an entrepreneur, there's no guarantees as to how you're going to get paid next. Now, that's definitely a con, right? I mean, the pro of having a regular paycheck is you know what's coming in every it's single pro, month. It's a pro and a con, actually. What do you mean? Because you soon realize that you're directly in control of the money that comes into your pocket. So there, while there's no safety net, there is also the potential to go up. Uh, higher and you start to realize and trust yourself. So it can be both. That's true. I mean, the pro of an entrepreneur, the reason is, first of all, is you can work for yourself under your own terms. And if you do it right, your income potential is, is, is basically unlimited. Where if you have a job, you know, you're trading time for money, you get paid by the hour, you can make more money by, you know, working more, working harder. You can ask for a raise, you know, get your three to 5% raise. So you're capped. Right, you kind of you you kind of sacrifice freedom and and how you can work and the upside potential, but getting to that point as an entrepreneur is challenging. Yeah, you know, I think people they see so much instant gratification on you know social media and whatever else, where it says, "Oh, this guy just started trading, and all of a sudden he's a millionaire and all this stuff." And the reality is, is you're putting in a lot of time, a lot of effort to get beneath the surface. If you think about it, you're really trying to go a mile deep and an inch wide to get to the gold. That's really kind of the best analogy I can give is to, it took me 10 years to get to this point. I think people kind of underestimate that, that it can take a decent amount of time to get to the gold. We're actually making a decent amount of money. Well, it's instant gratification. I think that's kind of the thing. I think people crave security on the one hand. And of course, having a W-2 job, they think it's stability. But as we know, many people have gotten laid off or fired for no reason at all, even after many years of service. So it's kind of a false sense of security, but people think it's more secure. And then there is that delayed gratification as an entrepreneur. I think it's correct because it takes a while to break through. You know, you make $2,000 a month here, nothing the next month or nothing. And then you make 2000 you know, and it takes, it takes a while and you have to be able to stick with it. And if you look at any, almost any other business, if you compare it to real estate, real estate, breaking into real estate is, is significantly easier, in my opinion, than so many other small businesses that you can possibly think of starting. Yeah. And I think this is a really good point because there's... A, there's so many resources out there available to you to kind of, you know, there's a learning curve with any business and learning any business in general. You can significantly minimize that through, you know, a multitude of different channels, especially like a mentorship with TMB or something like that. It just, just dumbs that down 
so you know, you, can, you can get there faster. And then also the the business model in general, uh, it's not only scalable, but it's easily translatable. So you, everybody know you're talking about multifamily. You can all talk the same language. It's like a language, right? Maybe you're going to buy a you know a service business or some other type. There's less probably people that do that, or it's it's harder to scale that business or harder to get information on how to run that business. So there there definitely is a, a faster uh, process to real estate. Yeah, I think real estate is one of the easiest businesses you can possibly get into. It's it's uh, you know the more people with different personality types. Uh, I mean, to start a business from scratch is very very challenging. Real estate is just uh, the easiest thing that you can get into. So uh, before we get into our guest with Pete Schnepp, I, I want to um, just point out that we are you know if you're interested in getting into multifamily um, as a passive investor, we'd love to talk to you about that. Our company is called Nighthawk Equity. You can find out more at NighthawkEquity.com and you can click the join button and join our investment club. You'll fill out a short form and you'll have a conversation with us and we'd love to share some upcoming opportunities for us as well. And so one of the things I like about Pete is that he's been an entrepreneur and started a, a painting company, scaled it, then he added another pest control company. So he's a hustler, right? And then he added real estate to the thing. And it's been great to talk to him about how he got started. He got real, really small. He started really small. And he's still kind of small. But he's financially free now, which is really, really cool. How has he built that? We talked about a lot of the challenges and mindset issues that he's had while he's still running his other two businesses. We kind of compared the two uh, pros and cons of entrepreneurship. Let's get right into the interview with Peach Nepp. You're listening to the Financial Freedom with Real Estate Investing podcast, hosted by Garrett Lynch and Michael Blanc, where we talk all about how you can achieve financial independence through apartment building investing. Whether you're just getting started or you want to scale your syndication business, this is the show for you. Pete, welcome to the show today. Thanks for having me. I'm honored. Yeah, so this is going to be great. I want to get into your story here because you are financially free with real estate already, even though you probably would agree that there's multiple levels of financial freedom. Maybe we'll talk about that. But I want to know, how did you get into real estate? Like, What was going on in your life at the time? Well, let's see. At the time, I had just gotten out of college, really, and I started working for a home builder. So I was like a construction manager, managing the trades. Being in that atmosphere, I realized that all the people buying houses that had money, they were in real estate somehow or another. They were realtors, they were lenders, and they were investors. And so that's kind of what sparked my interest, I guess. And then, of course, you know, prior to that in college, I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which I guess maybe that was the original spark. But back then in college, I just thought it was too far away. But once I got into the real world and working and I saw, you know, the cars that people were driving and buying multiple houses, the ones that were doing well were all involved in real estate in one way or another. Yeah. So how did you actually get involved in real estate yourself? I mean, you said you kind of exposed to it in college and did you do something with right away or what, what, how did you actually, what foray did you make? Yeah, it wasn't right away. I mean, I was, I was in the construction industry as like in management. Um, and then I wound up actually getting my real estate license because I figured, Hey, if I could sell a few houses on the side, it's some extra income, but it was all really geared towards at that time, just, uh, you know, trying to make extra income. Right. And then, um, Finally, I was able to buy my first house. That was right at the peak of the market before the last crash. I bought it with a with a buddy. We were both in construction, and within six months, you know, the, the market crashed, and 
Several years later, we short sold it, but I was still interested in real estate. But that now all of a sudden my my credit was tanked and I really didn't have any money. So I was sitting on the sidelines for a while, but it was always like a desire of mine. I kind of knew that, you know, just from rich dad, poor dad, really that eventually I want to get some properties and it's going to help me get to where I want to go long-term. But I guess uh, fast forward, I bought my next house with my wife. I used her credit and my money. That was in 2012. And so, you know, that kind of kicked things off. There was a conversation that we had at like a dinner party with one of our friend's grandparents who, who were fairly successful. And they gave us a piece of advice and they said, if you can buy one property every year, you're going to be sick. And that kind of like uh, stuck in my head. And so at that time, I was like, let's do that. Let's do that. So, you know, we had we had the house that we lived in. The next year, we bought a little condo. And my mom wound up moving into that. So that wasn't much rental income. And then the following year, we moved out of our primary into another primary and we rented our, our old primary. So that's kind of what kicked off the rental. Let's see, that puts us maybe at 2015. And then I went two years without buying anything. And honestly, thinking back as to why I didn't, I was scared. You know, the market was, was going up. It was a strong market back then. We had just come out of, I had experienced the boom and the bust, right? Uh, firsthand. And I was scared. Other people got hurt a lot more than me. I didn't have a whole lot of, of money to invest. So two years went by and, you know, I was having kids and starting a family. I was fully invested in my business and vision painting, right? So I'm a business owner, but it's also a job too, right? Um, at this point, I had made that transition to being self-employed and that's what I was doing. But anyway, I realized that I wanted, honestly, I wanted to buy more properties as a backup plan. I had seen through the, through the boom and bust, I had seen so many contractors go out of business, fold up shop. They were doing millions of dollars of business. And then all of a sudden, you know, the housing market crashed and they couldn't get paid from the people they were doing work from, you know, outside factors they couldn't control. And next thing you know, they're in the unemployment line. So I was like, well, I need to set up a plan B just in case because I had seen that. And that's that's really where it came from, because I wanted to protect my family financially. If something happened to the business or God forbid, if I got hit by a bus, I was like, I need something coming in that's residual, that's passive. And that's that's really at that point I started starting to get focused. Well, you had some experience now with real estate. It was a you know single family house, a condo, uh, and then interesting that you said you were scared back in 2015. You know the market was hot, and you know looking back on it now we're like, oh, I wish I would have bought in 2015. You know, yeah. and it's we're in a similar environment now as well. But so you see all this happening and you're concerned and you think you're secure, but you've seen otherwise. I mean, even, you know, the real estate market was decimated. Uh, mortgage brokers and insurance brokers, they all lost their jobs. Even multi-million dollar businesses. You're looking at this going, oh my gosh, that's insane. And so why did you decide to take action and how did you do it? Did you continue buying a condo once a year or how did you, how did you maybe shift? Honestly, I think what really helped me is guys like you, Michael, uh, all the free info out there nowadays on podcasts and YouTube and stuff. So I made a switch in my head. I stopped listening to Howard Stern when I'm driving around from appointment to appointment. And I started listening to podcasts and books, right? So I revisited Rich Dad. I started listening to Bigger Pockets. 
think and grow rich, stuff like that. And so every day when I'm driving around doing my job, I was in real estate school, right, in my car. And, you know, we're so lucky nowadays to be able to hear everybody's stories. And that's sort of, you know, not only does it give you motivation, but it also gives you confidence that, hey, you know, this knucklehead that I heard on the radio, he could do it. I think I could figure it out too, right? So 2017, you know, I had the three properties. One was my primary and I was like, I want to buy a fourplex. I had been saving up, saving up, saving up. And a big part of that too is living below your means, right? And so I've got to give credit to, to my wife and my, my kids now. Like, you know, we live a, a modest lifestyle. We're focused on expanding our means and we keep our living expenses pretty moderate. So that, and to me, it's like every, every bit of savings is just saving up to invest, right? So I got to the point where I was like, all right, now I want to get a fourplex and I've got a real estate license. I'm not really acting as a realtor, but I could see everything that comes on the market. I'm trying to buy a property in 2017 and I can't. I'm putting out offers. I'm getting outbid. I'm not on it first, whatever the reason. And finally, I was like, you know, screw it. I'm going to make it happen this weekend. And I told my wife. So we went out and looked at 10 properties for sale. I put an offer on 10 properties, all 10 of them on a Saturday within like a four hour span. I got four of them locked up under contract that weekend. I took them all four through due diligence. And then I uh, moved forward with two that are side by side. I closed on both. I figured out financially how to make it work. Well, wait a minute. You can't just set out and say, I'm getting deal done. Like if Garrett could do that, I would say, Garrett, stop screwing around get a deal done today, right? (laughs) (laughs) What what was different? Like explain, did you maybe just overpay to get it done, Pete? Or what what was different about that time? You know, I guess... I wouldn't say I overpaid. Actually, oddly enough, on that on those properties, I I got it for asking price. You know, according to my calculations, it's still penciled. It was a decent deal, but the appraisal came in low on those. So I actually was working with my lender. He's like, Pete, put together your your rebuttal, get your comps, all your numbers. So I put together my rebuttal. The, my lender told me it was the best appraisal rebuttal he had ever seen. We got the appraiser to raise it. So I went through with no extra out of pocket. And this year, so I did no major capital improvements. Those are just cash flow, C-class properties. This year, I did a cash out refinance, took all my money out, and now I'm infinite on those properties, which you know almost didn't appraise back then, right? Yeah. So you, you know, and I Pete, so Pete and I know each other fairly well. We're in EO, EO together. And he's like, hey. Should I, uh, I got this situation where I can do a cash out refinance and I think I can get all my money out. He's like, should I do it or just keep paying down the loan? I'm like, I'm like, Pete, that's the Holy grail, man. That's, that's what you want to do. You want to take that out and go buy a couple more properties. And so I don't know if that was, you know, the first time that you kind of had experience. Was that, was it the first time Pete? Yeah, uh, it's the first time I did a full on. So I've done some burrs, right? But uh, yeah, I was right. able to take all my money out. And this one was just, it was just the market appreciation, really. I did no major improvements to it. I just sat on it. We sure. made some money on them and worked out. Yeah, so so he did the cash out refinance. And then he went, and that's the beauty, obviously, of multifamily as well, is that it's easier to do that. And then he went in and, and what did you? You just kind of took off like a rock chip. It was like a late law, the first deal. This guy just started, started cranking through them. 
And uh, Pete sent me a picture of, he's got a really cool thing on the wall. It's like all these keys. And it was his daughter hanging a new set of keys up on, it's all this tenants, a new set of keys up on the wall. It was really cool. I thought, uh, and I was like, man, that's so inspiring that, uh, you, you know, you went from that, that stage and just kind of slowly worked it to get to where you're at right now. What point did you actually become financially free from your real estate rentals? I mean, I guess technically it was this year. So in 2018, I set a five-year goal for myself to hit a certain amount in rental income. That's how the keyboard came together. And it all, uh, actually, I owe it to, I would say I owe it to The Miracle Morning, uh, that book. And I started doing that every day for 90 days. And I really got focused and I got clear. And that's when I set myself a financial freedom goal. And so for me, financial freedom at that time looks like 20,000 a month in rental income. We live off of about 10. So I figured if I can double it, I would be financially free. But uh, just this year, we crossed the 10,000 mark um, and we're a little bit you know, more. So God forbid, if I got hit by a bus and we had to fold down the businesses, uh, but we still had the properties, my family would be able to pay the bills and they'd be, they'd be okay. And that right there is a huge sense of security. It's not like I'm going to you know, go sell the businesses right now and, and start traveling the world, right? But uh, to me, that's like level one financial freedom. It's security. How does that feel, Pete? How does it feel to say that? Because I think we, we kind of, we kind of, uh, you know, we're like, we were having our pre-call with you and we're like, yeah, uh, you're financially free. You're like, I am. I'm financially free. Actually. Yeah. I didn't realize it. And it's funny because my, my goal was set higher, but it's definitely a milestone in my life. Something that I want to remember. And I'm definitely proud of now that I've thought about it. But again, my, my goals are higher than that, right? There's a lot more that I want out of life. And, you know, money is, it's a tool that allows me to do good things for other people. And for me to be able to do good things for other people, I need to keep, keep moving forward, right? Let's talk about that. I mean, you kind of highlight the, there's multiple levels of financial freedom. Now let's talk about that a little bit because it's kind of a fun thing to do. I mean, technically, according to Rich Dad definition, you are financially free when you're covering your living expenses, right? And so that's like the first threshold. Now, you know, are, are you, like you said, are you traveling the world? Are you, you know, are you buying whatever you want to do? Well, no. But so in your mind, like where, so level one is covering your living expenses. It kind of gives you a safety net, gives you some options. And that's really the first milestone that people strive for is that thing. But then once you're there, you know, you, you celebrate a little bit. In your mind, like how many levels do you think there are? Like, can you describe the, the different levels? I haven't done that personal deep dive yet. <laughs> I would say that you could, if you wanted to categorize it, you could probably break it down into five. And that's just off the cuff. I really haven't thought about it. But I mean, at what point can you buy jets? You know, and so I don't. Well, but it know. depends on it depends on what you want to do. I mean, if you want to buy a jet, I don't know. I mean, I, I mean, a, a jet would be nice to have, but I don't have a jet on my bucket list. You know, I mean, yeah. maybe I could add one. I you know interviewed David Osborne the other day. He's got a jet. You know, one of our mentors has a jet. So I should probably have a jet. But I mean, at the end of the day, you know, you have uh, you you're covering your living expenses, and uh, you're living you're living you know modestly. And at one point, maybe you allow your lifestyle just to increase a little bit more. Uh, and then you want to have a little bit of a cushion, like you said, you know, being able to save up more so you could give away more or you can put more into a business or or whatever, 
you know, you kind of get into multiple levels. I mean, find uh, Go Abundance, the mastermind that I I joined also about a year ago, measures it as in a percentage. It's a freedom number. You know, how many times of your expenses are your, you know, it's your passive income? Is, is it one to one, which means that you're covering a living expense? Is it two to one, twice as much as you're spending? You know, and you're kind of comparing each other with how much passive, my passive income is bigger than your passive income. At one point, it's just a way to keep track. And uh, I'm wondering if you're in your mind from a lifestyle perspective, do you have like, how, what do you, because your goal was 20,000. I think this is very important is to gain clarity around what that is. When you set the goal 20,000, what was your lifestyle like in your mind versus perhaps what it is now, or what it was? Honestly, my lifestyle hasn't changed much. And when I had the 20,000 in mind, it was pretty much similar to where we were in 2018 when this started versus now. I mean, like I said, we live a moderate lifestyle. I mean, we got a house in the suburbs. It's nothing fancy. We drive, you know, Hondas and Garrett knows me. I'm fairly cheap, right? Like he likes to go out to nice restaurants and Yes, you he know, does. I'm okay with, with Chipotle. You know what I mean? I feel weird at fancy restaurants, but that's just, you know, us. Like part of that stems back from, I guess, when I was younger, I read, I think the book was The Millionaire Next Door. And it kind of yeah. taught me that it's okay to be wealthy and just look like an average Joe, right? I mean, I don't buy fancy clothes. So when I look at 20,000 a month, that's assuming a lifestyle that costs me about 10 grand a month. That with a ten thousand dollar buffer, you figure five thousand for capex, unknown repairs, vacancy, or whatever for the properties, and then five thousand dollar buffer for traveling, maybe increased living expenses or whatever. Lately, actually, I've been I've been thinking about that number a lot. That number was established three years ago, and I'm on track to hit it. I'm not there, but I'm on track to hit it. But I think I'd be a lot more comfortable if I got that number to thirty. No, so so you're saying so 30k that's kind of a, a a number a bigger number for you and one one thing that I thought of was uh, you know I used to be like a lot of people when when they get money or they make money they elevate their lifestyle I think so many people just they do that you know definitely that's just how I was it was like oh I made ten grand let's go let's go buy a new car let's go do something like that and then I had a big event happen eventually like I got kicked down through my my big business exit at a certain point i had to figure out how to live like beneath my knee my means i started building habits around that and so what pete what i think with you it's like you've you've lived this certain way for a while these habits these things that are instilled in your head through everything even if those things start to exceed and, and hike up you may not you know, you may, you may have it set where you're going to elevate things. It doesn't mean you're blowing it out and matching that, that passive income style. Same thing. I have a cousin who uh, was poor for like 10 years getting his, his doctors, his PhD, and now he's making boatloads of money. He still lives like he, he was poor, like completely poor. So much so that he would go to the Six Flags Great America to get meals because they have an unlimited meal pass. Like how how weird is that? Like like crazy stuff. Yeah, but it goes it goes either way. I mean, Warren Buffett is the same way. I mean, he's yeah. still traveling coach and yeah, but, but for example, Grant Cardone, he grew up really, really poor, right? And he it seems like he overcompensated now. So it's it's a really personal decision. 
And I don't, I don't know if one thing is is better than the other. I do know that controlling expenses, Pete, like you're saying, you know, allows you to get there faster. Obviously, if if you pay the the cash flow one on one board game, you know, if you pull the janitor card and you're living on four thousand dollars per month, you're going to get out of the rat race faster than the attorney who's burning through twelve thousand a month. It's just a matter of practicality. Well, one um, and- of the things that really helped me uh, manage that, uh, you know, I'm a business owner. You know, we've got a fairly successful business and. At the beginning of that, you know, you just take owner draws whenever you need, whatever. So at a certain, you know, several years ago, I talked to my wife and I said, look, I'm going to pay myself a salary and this is what we're going to live on from here on out. We need to make it work because every month, I don't know what we're going to bring in. I mean, painting is a type of business. You you eat what you kill. You only, you only get paid when you sell a job and you produce it profitably, right? And that doesn't always happen. So... I established a salary and we've been living off of that salary and making that, that budget work, right? You mentioned that several times that you're talking to your wife. I mean, let's not gloss, not gloss over this thing. How do you and your wife get on the same page, right? Because you can be, you know, watching your dollars. It doesn't mean your spouse is watching it, right? Uh, yeah. Just because you want this financial freedom doesn't mean your spouse wants it. How do you get on the same page uh, with, your, with your wife and, and your family? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, just by communicating, she kind of knows. She doesn't really go after buying properties. She doesn't really have the same big dreams that I do, but she understands them and she sees the potential of our future together as a family and she's on board. She just she's not high maintenance. She doesn't need a lot of fancy things. She's she she wants me to be available with the family and you know, she wants a good family dynamic and it works out really well. I'm really blessed because I know other people that are in similar situations and their cost of living is way higher than ours. And to me, everything that I can save is another property or another investment that I can put money into that's going to help our family in the future. You know what I mean? And so she's on board and I, I, would, I wouldn't be able to do it without her. That's for sure. So Pete, uh, what, what, tell us a little bit about you know, what are your, your future goals as far as your real estate goes? Like, how do you plan to expand further with what you're doing? Is it just to stay on the same track forward? Uh, have you looked into syndication or looked into, uh, you know, maybe raising capital? Is it to, to cash out refi? Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So real estate, I mean, guys, it's, it's like a hobby for me. It's a side business. <laughs> Envision painting is my primary focus, right? That's what, honestly, that's what pays the bills. And, and if, if there's some left over, then I get to invest it. So at this moment, real estate is a really fun hobby that I'm creating generational wealth with, right? This money that we're talking about, we don't use it. It stays in that. It's a separate entity. It stays in that. It builds up. Then we'll buy another property with it. One day, we'll see what happens. I want to put myself in a situation. I like to have options. So if I have options, then that's a good thing. Financial freedom. I don't know what I would do with my time if I, was, if I didn't have Envision. I don't know that I could be a full-time real estate investor, possibly. But part of being able to buy your first 10 or 15 properties is you need to have a good job. Lenders aren't going to give you money if you don't have reliable income, right? And so I don't know what that's like from here on out. But I definitely want to continue buying properties. I'll tell you that I have never sold a property except for the first one that I had to that was a short sale. And I don't intend to. I mean, out here with this market, I get calls and texts and spam all the time, people trying to buy my properties. 
And to me, I would rather just hold on to them and create that generational wealth and improve my, you know, my family, my future families, so on and so forth. You mentioned you got to have a job to get a loan, but you're self-employed, right? So was that ever a challenge for you? Actually, yeah, at the beginning it, it was. And that was part of the delay in the early years is because you need to have two or three years worth of uh, documented income. And part of being a business owner is to, you know, not document a lot of income, <laughs> right? Right. So that is a dichotomy. But when I put myself on a salary, that definitely helped because now I had W-2 income. But I was still limited as to how much I could qualify for. That was that's in the first five years. That's always the the limiting thing is how much money can you put down, and how much can I qualify for? And I established a really good relationship with a lender. Used the same broker for most of the stuff, and over time, it it, it snowballed, and we made it work. So compare the two businesses. I mean, you're you're a business owner. You have this uh, this painting business, and you seem to enjoy it enough. It's not like oh, I need to get out of this business. It's killing me, right? And so compare like the two businesses with each other. I'm a small business, and and you know, small business. There's a while they may be different. The the activities are going to be similar. The stress level is probably similar, but you seem to enjoy it enough. Compare the two businesses of your your painting business with, for example, real estate. What are some yeah. of the differences or, or things that are similar? Biggest difference, the painting business and most service businesses. I have another pest control company that we started a year ago with my brother. It's very active. You got a lot of employees. You got a lot of moving parts. You know, it's one thing to go sell a job, but then you got to fulfill it with high quality, good customer service and try to make some money. You're constantly, uh, as a business owner, you're constantly in this area where the customers want lower price. Your employees want higher pay, and you've got to eke out a profit somehow. It's a challenge. Real estate, it's passive. I mean, there's a little bit of work. I really get a high off finding deals and analyzing deals. But once you do the initial legwork, you you get a deal. Maybe you're doing some rehab up front. After that, I mean, there's nothing to it. I self-manage about half of the properties. The other half, I have a property manager. Like the multifamilies, I have a property manager and even the ones that I self-manage, there's, I mean, it's, it's automatic. You set it up right. The rents come in automatically. They text me if they have an issue. I've got a, a, you know, a bunch of resources. I'll just send a vendor out and it's easy. Well, you're kind of arguing for becoming a full-time real estate investor. Like why, why would you not do it? It's a good question. I don't know. I've got, I've been doing some soul searching lately. I'm going to continue to do some more. Right now is, you know, I've got three companies, right? The painting, the pest control. Those two kind of go hand in hand and the pest control is new and they both, they're both feeding customers back and forth to each other. So I'm going to ride with that. And, you know, it's, it's fun. It's a challenge. I've got a really good team on both businesses. And to me, it's the, the challenge is growing the business while slowly delegating more and more of my responsibilities. So Hey, I want to earn more and work less. And real estate does it, but I want to do it with the other businesses too. So is your your service, the service business that you're in now, is that very scalable? Is that something that you see yourself potentially scaling up or either of the businesses or, or is it more challenging? It's a challenge to scale. That's for sure. The painting company. We're at a pretty good size right now and I've scaled it over the years, but like to really grow it, it takes a lot of work. 
a lot of dedication. So it is tough. Pest control companies, it takes a lot of work to scale, but those companies can sell at a really good multiple. And so that's kind of what we went into that thinking in five or 10 years that has reoccurring revenue, similar to real estate. So it's reoccurring. And once you build that up, there's a big market to sell it at a very nice multiple. Well, what you have now is you have options. I mean, you like the, the the option of exiting is there. You didn't have that option before, and that's really what financial freedom is all about: is is, yeah. is options. And, and and no one I know will come becomes financially free and sits on the beach. Like they might do that for a month or two, but but long term, like that's that's awful. Like retirement, the idea of retirement, like I don't know anyone who does that. In fact, most people who are financially free work more and harder than they did even before because they're doing it on their own terms. And so that's you know a re main reason that people want to become financially free is to give them more control control of their time and also give them more options. So if you were to think about what what some what advice would you give someone that wants to do what you've done? You want to start doing some deals and start progressing to be larger, cover the living expenses. Like what do you think would be really useful for someone listening or watching this? The biggest thing that helped me get where I'm at right now is daily focus, right? So I mentioned the miracle morning was a big impact in my life. And although I don't do, you know, everything every day, I've got my vision board up every day. I've got my affirmations written out. I used to actually speak them every day. I found an app to where I could like record them. I listen to them every day. I meditate every day. I work out as much as I can. I keep my mind and my body and I'm focused. When I meditate, I'm thinking about, you know, my real, my businesses, all the businesses. And part of that is getting to financial freedom. What does that look like? So it has become a part of my daily life and I might not be analyzing properties every day, but I'm constantly thinking about all the businesses, what I want my life to be like in the future and uh, getting to this, you know, my 20K target, which is a five-year goal. I set that five-year goal and, and that's what my daily focus is. So if I were to speak to somebody younger getting started, I would say set a five-year goal and make it your daily habit to be completely focused and driven on getting to it. Pete, since I've known you, man, you've been such an inspiration. And, and just over the short period of time, we've gotten to know each other. I mean, you've done so many cool things. So thanks for coming on. Pete, if people want to reach you, how can they get a hold of you? Uh, yeah. So you can look me up on LinkedIn. I think I'm listed under Peter Schnepp out of Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, Facebook, I'm listed under Painter Pete. So those would be two places you could look me up, shoot me a message. I'm happy to connect and share stories, advice, whatever it is. Guys, if you want to get a hold of Pete, that's where you reach him. Thanks so much for coming on the show, Pete. We'll see you guys next time. So Garrett, we talked about some of the pros and cons of entrepreneurship earlier. And you know, when I asked uh, Pete around you know, the pros and cons and how they're different, he kept saying, well, the two are really active and real estate is really passive. You know, I think he heard himself talk himself out of the active stuff and more into the passive stuff. And it, when he was talking, I was like, man, this is exactly how I felt flipping houses. I'm like, yoo-hoo, we're in a small business. You know, I'm the entrepreneur. I'm crushing it. I'm making money. And I was like, wait a minute, but it's very active. Like when you read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, it's not active. You're looking for passive income. And I think that struck me uh, for him. It maybe struck him as well is all entrepreneurial activities are not created equal. Yeah, I think there's this dream mentality. It's like, well, I own a business, I become financially free, I'm rich, I can do whatever I want. And and there's just specific business types that are, are harder to scale and replace yourself in general. 
the analogy I like to go back to is somebody wants to own the best coffee shop in town and it pays them a hundred thousand a year. Okay. But then they want to step outside of the business costs 70,000 to put someone in there. Now they're only making 30,000 a year at that coffee shop and it doesn't make sense. So they're, they can't trade the time. And so that's something that you'll see in a lot of different business types uh, and not multifamily. It's that's different in, in real estate in general, really. Don't get me started with restaurants, Garrett, right? Because that's the, the problem with restaurants. I, you know, I, I set it up as a, as a multi-unit restaurant business when I had uh, up to six restaurants at one, at one time. And you, for that to work, you need scale, man. You need massive scale. If you need a manager, you're not working yourself. You need a manager in there. And then there's an owner on top of that, you know, or even a regional after that. You need some serious scale. And it's it's just really hard. A lot of businesses never make it to that point. And, and it's like this rat race that you can't get yourself out of. And you, you, you're you working for yourself. And this is why, he, you know, Pete talked about clarity. I think it's so important. You know, being an entrepreneur, working for yourself, that is not the end goal. Because otherwise what happens, this happened to me, is you're just creating another job. Yeah, okay, you're working for yourself, but you can't get out of it. You can't take 30 days off or 60 days off. You're kind of strapped. It's just that the strap looks different, but it's still a strap. <laughs> you can't get out of it. And so I think you have to be really clear about what you want. Yeah. And the way that the Pete decided to become clear is he's, he realized that. And he's like, well, first I'm going to stop listening to Howard Stern. I'm going to start listening to uh, probably your podcast, Michael, <laughs> uh, this podcast. And then he said, you know, I'm going to do the daily, the uh, Miracle Morning daily and, and now that I have my clarity, I'm going to set my financial goal and started taking daily steps, which I thought was so cool. Just doing something, just something small, even so every day. And then there's obviously your bigger days and, and eventually that adds up. And that's kind of just the persistence that Pete kept the entire time to get to the level that he's at now. Well, I think uh, people gloss over this clarity thing and and uh, the miracle morning made a material difference for for me as well and when people ask me my gosh what's like the secret of being successful and it's clarity it's if you're here's the thing if you're clear about something there can be no other result other than action i mean if you're clear in your mind exactly what you're going to do that morning why would you then not do that thing the only reason that people don't do that thing is because they're not clear what they want they get up and they go, I want something, I need something, but it's not real for them. They haven't really decided that this is something that they are going to do as a foregone conclusion. But the people, when you study people who are successful, that's exactly what they've done. It's almost a foregone conclusion. It is. It has to happen. It just takes some time and some effort to get it done. And I think that's what clarity gives you. Yeah. And when you have the shiny object syndrome, you don't have clarity. And that also is, a, is a, a common thing that that happens uh it happened to me even so for a couple of years where i was chasing different things and nothing really happened for me uh, and i was just kind of treading water and so getting getting really clear like you mentioned going deep instead of wide is really where the gold is and so i think i think that really was was apparent here and this is kind of where a mentor can really help and you know we work with a lot of mentoring students who come into a mentoring program and some of them they struggle with clarity and a mentor can really help with that and drill down hey what wh why is it really that what you're doing right now what's really important to you a mentor can really help not only get into the business but a lot of people get into the business but they have trouble staying in the business so if if you want to not only get into the business but stay in the business and not just do a deal but 
scale up a multi-million dollar business, a mentor may be for you. So check out our mentoring program at themichaelblank.com forward slash mentor. Set up a call. And our chief strategist uh, is going to help you gain clarity. That's what he's very good at doing. And mentoring may be for you. It may not be for you. If you think it might be helpful, check us out at michaelblank.com forward slash mentoring. And uh, it's clarity, I think, Garrett, is is key. And, um, and the Miracle Morning really did that for me as well. So appreciate you guys watching listening to this. And uh, you guys have a great rest of the week. Catch you guys next time.